Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Feeling a little under the weather, so my, my voice sounds a little different right now. But uh, uh, th- this episode was particularly inspiring to me. Om um, Gandhi is doing something pretty cool. He, he is doing some crazy ultra marathons, and this idea was to uh, get the FKT for the Icelandic Traverse, literally running across... Iceland, which we know is is a pretty treacherous environment and landscape. Um, we, we recently did an episode of someone biking across Iceland, and that it was crazy to hear some of the stories and how rugged it actually is in the inner part of Iceland when you get away from the rim road. But Am's story is so cool because he was incredibly out of shape, not a runner at all, and just one day got home and said, I'm tired of it, and went for a run and ran like a quarter mile. Body's hurting, body's sore. A couple days later, decides to do it again. And now he's running <laughs> like 200, 250, three, four, 500 mile ultra marathons. And it inspired me so much that the night that this came out, or the night that I interviewed him, I went home and went for a run, which I don't often run. I, you know, my knees hurt. I often stick with cycling, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for a run. And I ran a couple miles and I was like, I need to do this more. This was awesome. So I've been running since this episode, uh, that recorded episode. So I hope it empowers you the same way. I don't know what it was about Om's story. It just, it just really was impactful. I hope you enjoy it. So let's go ahead and jump in. Hey folks, you heard a little bit about Om's story in the intro, but I want to welcome Om to the show. How you doing? Welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, Mason. Yeah, yeah. So I always ask this first, without fail. Where are you coming from today? Where's home? Home is Los Angeles, California. And that is where you are right now? Yep, that's where I'm in right now. And born and raised. Born and raised in L.A.? That's awesome. What is it like? Because obviously at Los Angeles, there's a lot of people that visit and a lot of people that transplant there. Is it weird to be like a native, not a, you know, native, but like to be born and raised there and tell people, yeah, I've always been here? Sometimes, yeah. I think one of the weirdest things is telling people that I'm from Los Angeles, but also not not telling them that like, I'm actually from like Orange County in the suburbs because every time they think Los Angeles, they think I'm like, from the heart of the city, which I was at one point from East LA. It's, it's funny, especially when you hear things like California is only for visiting and it's totally a different vibe, but yeah, it'll always have a special place in my heart, LA born and raised. Oh, that's awesome. Well, well, let, let me ask you this. What, what kind of, I know now you run for, uh, for Merrill and some other folks and you're an ultra runner, but what did what were you doing growing up? Were you into this kind of stuff? Uh, did you have a family that encouraged this kind of thing, or did you have to find it later? And, and if and if you did find it later, what were you doing growing up as far as around adventure or being outdoors? Uh, so actually, well, growing up, I was more of a very like I did play outdoors like the other kids, but I was also a very sedentary indoors type of kid, really quiet and closed on the computer, watching TV, reading books a lot. My family generally has a very sedentary lifestyle, so I wasn't the most athletic kid on the block. Uh, I was in remedial PE every year and, you know, never able to make like the push-ups and like the sit-up qualifiers. And um, yeah, so I would say like adventures and the outdoors is kind of like, it always fascinated me because I grew up watching like those 80s movies, like 
fell in love with Indiana Jones as a young kid and saw all these fascinating places in the world, but just didn't have the means and didn't know how to kind of approach those things. So totally different lifestyle. And I actually found running maybe about four and a half years ago. So it's been a long journey to get to that point. No kidding. Four and a half years ago. So so not that long ago. And I know I saw your most recent Instagram post talking about like your trajectory of first 5k and race and then first 50k and half marathon and all that all the way up to what you're doing now so well I I tell you what I kind of had an outdoor a lot of outdoor experience in life but I I do feel there was also a lot of time where I wasn't doing anything and kind of took understanding what was out there and, and appreciating nature to start realizing, oh, you can have these amazing life-changing experiences outdoors, but it's a lot of work and it's really uncomfortable at first. Uh, what led you to even want to do that first 5K or want to do your first race? How, how did you go from couch or you know watching videos of other places and, and movies about things like Indiana Jones to, to being your own version of Indiana Jones? Oh man, own version of Indiana Jones. That's <laughs> uh, trying, man, trying to get there. I don't, I don't have the Harrison Ford swag, but um, <laughs> you're getting there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess the precursor is that I grew up generally a very overweight kid, and by the time I was 18, I was about 250 pounds, oh, wow. and I was bordering on pre-diabetes and. Ended up losing that weight sort of the wrong way and gaining that weight back in my adulthood. A lot of stressors in my adulthood. And the first time I actually picked up running and stuck with it was actually less from a physical standpoint and more just for looking for a mental health outlet. So I would work these, the way I picture it, the way I have people pictured, I would work these long hours from like 8 a.m. to like. 10 at night and then I'd come home and one of those nights I just decided I wanted to find some kind of outlet and I put some running shoes on some shorts and I just decided to go out there and see what I could do and ended up running about a quarter of a mile and kind of just uh got sick and walked back home like I'll never forget that (laughs) like I'll never forget that there was a point where I couldn't even uh run more than like a quarter of a mile and that sort of motivated me to say like okay i'm gonna start doing this run walk thing and let's see can i do a mile can i run for 15 minutes can i run for 30 minutes and at that time doing a 5k was like mount everest for me and then signing up for a half after that or like a 10k and a half was a mount everest so it was just like a progression from there like you know how it is like it just becomes like a rabbit hole like you just want to keep seeing what's possible after you've accomplished what was like you're impossible at that moment. <laughs> what, what even made you want to come home and put on shorts and, and running shoes? Like what did, were you sick of the way things were? Cause I think a lot of us get to that point, but we're not sure like what to do about it. And, and is it like, Oh, it's not even worth going a quarter mile. It's not even worth going that far. Like what, what made you say, Today's different, or tonight at that time. Tonight is different. I think I was just sick of failing and quitting, and I just wanted to see what would happen if I didn't quit for once, if I just stuck it through and 
for me, like running is such a simple thing, right? Like you can, it's, it's a thing that, you know, you can put long hours into, but it's also a thing that anybody can do. You can put your shoes on and you can get outside and you can go for a walk and you can go for a run. And it was a very easy thing for me to put those shoes on and get outside and see what I could do. And I just needed to find some sort of outlet and just decided to give it a shot and see what would happen if I didn't quit for once. And I'm glad I decided to stick it through, especially through a lot of early injuries. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so how did that, you know, that first quarter mile, you, you ran that. What did it feel like afterwards? You were like, that sucked. <laughs> Probably felt <laughs> terrible. Yeah. And that hurt like heck. What, do, would you, what were you thinking? Was it like, I'm going to do this again? Or that wasn't worth it? Like, what was the thought process to say, keep going? You know what I'm saying? It was uh, it's very interesting. Like, I finished it, and there wasn't anything in me that, there was no, like, it wasn't like a movie, like, ah, I hit my runner's high, I need to find this again. It was totally like, I did it. Like, I went outside, and I was jogging, sprinting, jogging, whatever it was at that point is, you know, hard as I could, just trying to like vent things out and got to that quarter of a mile and I stopped and wanted to like puke. And I'm just like, man, this sucks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I walked back home and then I thought that, I thought that night, like I was never going to do it again. And then a couple of days later, I was putting my shoes on, um, just thinking, all right, well, let's just go for this again. Let's see if I can do a little more this time. And eventually I did hit like that runner's high and yeah, I don't know. There was just like this strange attraction to like maybe that discomfort. Maybe it was a subconscious thing that just made me want to keep going. Again, probably just like wanting to see what would happen if I didn't quit for once. Wow, that's really cool because that was a hugely pivotal moment in your life. And it doesn't feel like it, I'm sure, at the time. Like it doesn't feel like, like you said, it's not a movie somatic level you know, there's no background music. There's no, no, no one there to say, hey, this is a big deal. But that trajectory was just like this that day. And then you fast forward five or six years or whatever day that was or whatever year that was to now it's so far apart to where you were going. And like that, that small change sets you on a totally different course. That's really cool. Tell us about maybe building up to the point that you wanted to enter your first event. How long was that from the time you ran that first night until you were doing your first 5K? Yeah, so the first quarter mile that I ever ran was like, and the reason I know these specifics is because I'm totally like a timeline guy. Like, oh, this is like my third year anniversary of running. It's like my fourth year anniversary of like, or two years of ultras. But April 10th is the date I remember. Um, 2018 was when I did like that first quarter mile. The first 5K that I did, I signed up for it probably like, I would say July. I got to the point where I could run like 20, 25 minutes. And I thought like, man, I'm getting pretty close to 30 minutes. That was always a threshold that I could never cross. You know, I got to like maybe 10, 15 and it was, I always plateaued there. I gave up too early. And then I got to this 20, 25 minute mark and thought, all right, this is kind of scary. Like I signed up for my first 5K and to this day, I feel like signing up for my first 5K has scared me more than signing up for some of my ultras. 
Like, it's just like, oh my goodness, like, what did I just do? Like, I was cold sweating, you know, excited and nervous at the same time. And, you know, I went for it. And that was maybe like August 11th or something was the date. So probably like four months afterwards, I did that first 5K and signed up for 10K and did something crazy where I decided that right after my 5k, I was going to sign up for the Joshua tree half marathon in November. So that was the one that really scared me. Cause I was like, man, I'm quadrupling this distance that I just did. But I've always been that sort of person where it's like, I set these like really, really high goals. And then I have this, like, what the heck did I just do moment? And then I try to like, put the other pieces together like okay what do i gotta do to get to that top step from this bottom step that's wild that's really cool and it just goes to show how quickly you can change your life you know as humans we have the ability to change anytime we want we just it's not easy you know but but it's also sometimes some of the steps are easier than you think when you just get going for you, I also assume you're you're losing weight through this experience. You're, you're you're getting in better shape, obviously, being able to run farther. But were were you vocal about this to the people around you, or were they at least seeing it? And what were maybe some of the reactions as you were increasing the mileage and increasing these challenges for yourself? There were people who were supportive, you know, but there was also a lot of reaction of like, "Oh man, you can't do this," or like, "You're not a runner," and there's always sort of that like stigma around me, like that, you know, this isn't for you kind of thing, like around the office, even around like members in the family, if I'm being honest, like around like people I considered friends back then, like, and just a lot of like, why are you doing this? You know, like you just came home from a long day at work. Why are you lacing your shoes up at like eight or nine at night, you know, or like 10 at night to do this thing? Like, what is this all for? And I could never explain it to them. And, you know, I just kind of like, some of it hurt, but, you know, I kept my head down and I kept working and yeah, now you just, those are the moments you never forget. It's not always the moments where like, there's people cheering you on, the lights are on and there's fanfare. I think the moments that you remember forever are the ones where it was just you and the curtains were down and it's just like you're out in the park and it's dark and there's nothing but like a street lamp illuminating the area. Like I'll never forget those runs as long as I live. Wow. That's so beautiful that, that those are so impactful moments, even though if you look at it from the outside, it's like, Oh, a guy's running, but internally there's so much going on. There's so much you're fighting against and so much your confidence you're building and momentum. And yeah, it's so wild to think about. Wow. So, so as you progress, what, what was, Maybe I, I know major, you know, quite a bit of weight loss is a part of your story. What, what's a big misconception that people have about the weight loss journey uh, for, for folks that haven't gone through it? I think a big misconception is that it's linear. Like people always see the before and after pictures and they think it's a happily ever after. But I've been through that before and after many times where I've had like I know I got to 250 and then I got to 165 in uh, two and a half years back when I was in college and didn't exactly do it the right way. Was kind of starving myself, doing a lot of intense exercise and then 
kind of fluctuated back to 220 pounds right around the start of my running journey in 2018. And I think that's a big misconception that, you know, once you're done losing that weight, like you're done. If you built those, had those habits throughout your life, it's a constant battle, just like any, just like anything that you're trying to beat, like whether it be like food diet or like drugs or anything like it's an everyday thing, you know, an everyday battle to try to like, you know, not go back to those old habits. You know, every day you win some battles and you lose some battles, but the important thing is you just keep moving forward and you stay positive. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. Awesome feedback. It's not linear. Adventures aren't linear. So much of life is, is <laughs> I'm sure you've learned that you know, that journey, that micro journey, not micro journey, but your personal journey is such a, any adventure to me, and I'm sure any run, whether it be training or all the way up to a huge ultra run event, it's almost like a little microcosm of a life itself. The highs, the lows, uh, the times you don't think you can keep going, the the, the beauty of it, even uh, the times that feel so good. All of that is like a small little life within itself. And, and you just realize that's exactly the journey of life. It's, it's But when you crush it down to an event, you get to kind of see it more magnified and uh, learn those lessons really, really deeply. Tell us about... You know, you you went, in my opinion, really quickly from, you know, and I'm I'm not much of a runner. I've done some. I'm more cycling and backpacking and whatnot. But pretty quickly from your first 5K all the way up to your first multi-day ultra, how different were those in the sense of difficulty, relatively speaking? You know, like you said, you said you were really uh, scared signing up for your first 5K compared to some of your ultras. How much different was it signing up for that first, maybe the first few races compared to those first multi-day races? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So I think a good precursor to that is that 2020 was, around the time, like the COVID time, the first lockdown was around the time when I was actually training for my first marathon. I had done like my third half marathon. I was going into my fourth one and starting to really hit my stride in that distance and signed up for my first marathon. And of course, the pandemic happened and you know, most road races got canceled. But I did see that state of Utah was still putting on races, uh, Zion 50K. The next year, they were going to have the Zion 100. And I had gotten up to maybe 16 miles in training at that point. And one thing I should add from back in 2018 was I was sitting in the office just looking up like world's toughest races. And one of them that came up was like, an REI video called How to Run a 100 Miler. Oh, with uh, with Brendan Leonard. Yeah, yeah. He's been on the show. Yeah, that is a, that's a, one of my favorites. I watched that one like 10, 15 times. Wow. But I watched that back in the day. You can imagine what the reaction of somebody who's never even done a 5K is to something like that. You're just thinking like, man, these guys are like superhumans, you know? Like mm-hmm. this is like a whole another lifetime or something. And then flash forward to 2020, where I'm thinking about signing up for my first 50K, and then I see like Zion 100, 
And, you know, at this point, like for everybody, the world is coming down around you, you know, like this pandemic is happening. Life as we know it is changing. Like nobody knew what was going on back then. So it's like June or July or something. And I decide like, you know what, I'm just going to send it. I'm going to sign up for a hundred miler and then figure out the rest later. Just going back to like signing up for big goals. It's crazy for sure. Uh, because the most I had done up to that point was 16 miles. So I signed up for it. I printed it out and I put it on my mirror. And for a whole week, I was just like, oh, what the heck did you just do? What did you just do? You know, it's just, I think that video came back to me about how they were feeling in the moment, like their story and everything. And some of the other stuff I had seen. And I decided like, I wanted to give that a shot. Like, I had already done like a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, things I thought were once impossible. Like what's doing a hundred mile, you know, which sounds like it's kind of an egoistic thing to say, but it was also kind of just like, why can't I do that? Why not? That was pretty much the start of my ultra journey, trying to go up to that hundred mile in April, 2021, just trying to get to that point and seeing what would happen. And it's just been more and more doors ever since then. How did that experience go? Take us through what it was like to stand at that starting line of the 100 miler. And that's a long time. That's a long time to be out there, a lot longer than half an hour. So I'm sure your mind went through all kinds of things. But take us through starting that and ultimately what it was like to complete it. Sure. So... Quickly training-wise, I signed up for my first 50K in September and did that, and that was like a death march. Took me like nine and a half hours to finish that race out of the 10. Learned a lot. Then I ended up signing up for about like three, oh gosh, like four more 50Ks for part of my training leading up to the 100-miler and just knocked those out like one by one. April came around, the sign 100 came around, and... Long story short, it took me until two minutes left to finish that race. I was the dead, I was what they call the DFL person, the dead fucking last person. <laughs> but man, it was, that's a finish that I don't think I'll ever forget. Like when I got to that start line at first, like I felt like those moments of like imposter syndrome and like, what am I doing here? Cause the progression had been so fast. Like I saw these guys, some guys like, I could tell maybe we're like professional athletes wearing like their Salmon gear and like some guys wearing like their ultras and me and like my assorted random gear and like not really knowing what I was doing, just kind of like showing up to that start line. And then there was just sort of a moment where the start hit me and I thought about all the training miles I put in and I cried for maybe like 15 minutes into the race. Uh, just thinking like, man, about the journey that it took to get there. and. Yeah, I got hit with the gauntlet in that race. Like, I didn't know how to take care of my feet. So I had all kinds of like blood blisters and like I got trench foot and I had tons of like foot issues throughout the race. I had GI issues because I couldn't hold anything for the last like 60 miles. <laughs> my left ankle got swollen. I didn't have a change of shoes. My left ankle got like massively swollen and tried to just like kin tape it up and take painkillers to like fix it. And, you know, I couldn't really put weight on it for the last 15 miles, 15, 20 miles, I believe it was. 
it was through the good graces of an aid station captain named Rob Rich, who he and his daughter were sweeping the course. And they told me that I actually had two miles left and not four miles left because I was ready to give up. Wow. They ran me into the finish. And that's a moment that I got on video. And it doesn't even come close to the actual moment. Like, I'll never forget it. Like, that was a beautiful moment where he told me, like, you need to give it everything you got. Like, you need to sprint. And I sprinted, like, as hard as I could at that moment. I thought, like, this was going to be the last thing I ever did. And I crossed that finish line and realized that it was only the beginning. And that was a beautiful moment. Wow. So you knew right then that you weren't done. Or did it take some time? It was right after I crossed the finish line and kind of like thought for a moment. Like I was, my body just shut down. But for whatever reason, I like hit that moment where I think that a lot of ultra runners and a lot of adventurers hit where they're like, man, if I could have in that discomfort, what would have happened if I had just pushed a little bit harder? What's going to happen if I train just a little bit more? My body adapts to this. What happens if this goes this way, you know? And you start thinking about those what ifs and you think, well, what's stopping me from doing this again? And I think it was sort of just like thinking about what could happen and why shouldn't I do this again? That had me immediately thinking about signing up for the next one. I fell prey to the ultra sign up curse, you know? Having having that experience now, who can run a hundred miles? Oh man. Can anybody do this if they just said, you know, I'm gonna do this? Like obviously so many people think they can't do this. They're like, I mean, yes, I'm I'm honestly doubtful. one of those people that's like, I'm doubtful I could do it. But what would you say to someone who says, I can't do that? I say yes, a thousand times yes, a million times yes. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Like I, my start was a quarter mile. I know people who probably trained, there's somebody out there who probably trained less than I did. There's probably somebody out there who's dealing with some kind of condition. There's somebody out there, you know, who's got it tougher than you, who can, who's doing this thing, you know, like, I know one thing I've learned about a hundred mile is that so much of it is more spiritual and mental than it is physical. And I believe that every single human being is capable of doing a hundred mile distance and more like we all have it in us. And so I would say, yes, like if you're, if you're teetering on doubt right now, like hopefully I'm reaching those people who are kind of like teetering on the doubt of like, should I do this? And like, they're self-doubting themselves. I'm going to say, send it, just do it. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. Like you can do it. Just figure it out on the way. If you fail, just go after it again. There's nothing stopping you from trying again. So awesome. So, so I, I know that your family and not, maybe not all family, but friends and colleagues were like, you know, you're crazy for even wanting <laughs> to do this stuff. Has there been at all a shift now that you've done so many races and you're signing up for more has there all been a shift that like you are a runner and my second question is when did you start saying i i am a runner i'm a runner now oh it took me a while to and i still have moments of imposter syndrome but it took me a while to really like i would say probably around like the time i did my second hundred mile in november and was training for my 72 hour race at, across the years in uh, Phoenix uh, for our FIFA running was probably when I really started to think like, 
I am a runner because there was one person, I think there was one person who sort of mentioned something along the lines of like, I told them about like my past obesity or something. They're like, really? I could never imagine you obese. Like you just look like a runner. And to me, that kind of hit me. But to say one thing, like there is no like runner's look or something. I know that now, like anybody can be a runner regardless of Mm -hmm. who they are and how they look and everything. But for somebody who is always dealing with body dysmorphia and body issues and thinking like, you know, like I don't even look halfway near as cool as like the Killian Jornets of the world and like um, Courtney uh, DeWalters. For somebody to say that like you are an athlete, like you look like a runner, that kind of hit me, you know. And then I started thinking about all the things that I've been doing and sort of like internally look to myself and realize like I am a runner. And it's probably a month after that, that Merrill actually found me, which is really cool. It was like, it's almost like a universal cosmic thing, you know? Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. What, what was, uh, they found you and, and just wanted to, to bring you on their team. Yeah, it was actually, it was actually Lauren, uh, Lauren King. She was a Merrill rep that found me through Run, Try, Bike, who I started as a contributing writer for them. Um, and I'm now their social media manager. I'm actually a co-owner with them. And I wrote an article about the importance of positivity and endurance sports. And the article generated a lot of traffic. And Lauren was one of the people to see it. And she hit me up on Instagram saying, like, we would love for you to be like a Merrill athlete, which, like, you know, first time you see something like that, you're like, is this one of those, like, scam things, you know? <laughs> she sent me, like, an email from like Lauren at Merrill.com. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, the, that's sort of how it started. And I signed a contract with them in January. And at first, like the imposter syndrome hit me, like, there's a lot of like, why, you know, there's probably a thousand other athletes or thousands of other athletes who can run way faster than I can, who are hitting the podiums, who are like doing these crazy things. And the way it was explained to me was that Merrill's target audience is like people trying to get outdoors and feel comfortable outdoors. And, you know, I realized that my story has the ability to touch those lives, to show people that it doesn't matter if you come from a sedentary lifestyle. It doesn't matter if like you were only running a quarter of a mile. It doesn't even matter what your goals are. Goals are relative. It just matters that you get outdoors and you revel in it and you have adventures and you, you grow and just get out there and have fun, you know? That's it. Get out there and have fun. Grow. Yeah. Oh, I love it. This is so cool. So, so you, you set some huge goals. I don't know when you set them, but they're coming up soon. I know you got the Moab 240. Is that the one that's coming up in October for you? Yeah, I got the Moab 240. Oh man, that's a major one. Had a lot of friends that have done that or want to do that or have done it. That's an epic, epic adventure. But recently you had something that I thought was just such an interesting adventure. I don't know if this was a sanctioned event, but it was the Icelandic Traverse. Tell us about what was what, what the goal was there uh, and then what happened, because I think what happened was really interesting. Yeah. So the goal for the Icelandic Traverse. So for the longest time, like growing up as a kid, I always wanted to go to Iceland. Um, and I know I'll get back there at some point. 
I I met I had met this guy a few years ago at a job I used to work who was a living embodiment of like Indiana Jones. Like this guy takes a topo and a compass and he's traveled across like seven different countries on foot. Um he's done like New Zealand and just a really low-key guy. Like he's just like, yeah, I just do this thing, you know, New Zealand, India, like Spain, Norway. So I thought like Man, that sounds like something I want to do. Um, this was even before I started like ultra running, ultra running. I'd always wanted to like walk across the country from like shore to shore. And I thought like, man, Iceland sounds cool. You know, like not only do you get to deal with these like extreme conditions, which intrigued me because, you know, before I really picked up ultra running, I was starting to also pick up through hiking and backpacking as well. And, you know, I still do that a lot in my downtime. And I thought to myself, like, man, this would be an awesome adventure. So I signed up for, I got the flights and everything in April and I was all set to go and had all my accommodations made. And I was on a connecting flight from Los Angeles to JFK where I was going to take, I had about an eight hour layover before I was going to fly to the capital of Iceland and my passport was gone. And I always keep that thing like, really close to me and my passport was just gone and you know I tried to stay calm and you know you can only control what you can control so I was going to like you know like Delta lost and found and like having them search the flight and like going to like the embassy and a couple people actually just kind of like shot me down and said well if you don't have your passport there's nothing we can do for you you're not going and I was like wow (laughs) I sat there at the airport. I was texting uh, my best bro, my best friend, Brandon, who is also a pretty awesome ultra runner in his right. Um, and I was telling him, like, yeah, Iceland might not happen. Like, I'm starting to think about, like, backup plans, you know, like, what can I do, you know, to bounce back? Because the last thing I want to do is be down and be depressed for very long about something like this. I want to immediately start thinking about the comeback, you know. And I told him, like, what if I do, like, I'd been thinking about an elevation challenge for a while, like a summit challenge. I'd seen a few other people do it. And I thought, like, what if I do a summit challenge? And what if I do it somewhere in Oregon? Do you have any ideas? And Brandon just kind of, like, started typing. And then he gives me a call and he's like, dude, I hate to say this, but I really hope you don't find your passport. Come to Oregon. (laughs) and the password didn't end up being found. The very next, like, you know, I got back home, I booked a flight out to Oregon, and I decided, like, next Friday, I was going to start this thing. And the most I'd done up to that point was 72 hours at Across the Years. And I thought, like, okay, well, I'm going to go for five days, 120 hours continuous, see how many summits of Mount Pisgah I can do. And Mount Mount Pisgah is like, depending on the route, you take three to 3.2 miles and about a thousand feet of gain and a thousand feet of loss back to the uh, back to the parking lot. And so I wanted to see how many times I could do that over and over and over again. But yeah, that was sort of to answer the question about the Icelandic Traverse. That's what happened. And that was kind of the quick pivot that happened. It, It all moved so fast. What was this feeling when 
your pa- you realize your passport was stolen or not stolen, potentially stolen, potentially lost. What do you, what was the feeling, and what did you do with that feeling? Oh man, that feeling was like dread, like hopelessness. I'm always trying to like, and I think Ultra has taught me a lot about this, but I'm always trying to like keep a problem solving mindset of like, all right, what can I control? What can I control? But there was a lot of like hopelessness that kind of like turned into like sweat (laughs) and just like walking around, just, you know, like checking your pockets over and over again. Like, man, did I just misplace it? Cause you know, I got ADHD. That's something that I do all the time. Like I misplace things all the time and same. Yeah. (laughs) All the time. Yeah. In fact, I need to see if my passport is where I think it is. (laughs) Cause I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's all just a lesson learned, but even then, like every single adventure I go on, I fly out. I'm always like, man, I packed everything. I repacked everything. There's always that one thing that I forget. And this time, one time it was my Coro's watch. This time it was my passport, (laughs) unfortunately. Too bad it couldn't have been like a toothbrush, but it was, it was something really important this time. Yeah. Important this time. So, so how quickly, okay. Cause, cause. I think that's really important. Ultra has taught you to endure, taught you to see maybe the positive or like, okay, how do I get through this? Because obviously you face a lot of highs and lows on a, in, a, in an ultra uh, and even training for one. How quickly did your mind go to what can I do now? How do I make the most of this experience? And then tell us how you eventually settled on the the Mount Pisgah challenge. Probably like an hour. Like I, I first, uh, you know, I settled down and, as much as I could in that moment um, and tried to like go through three, four different options where I was like, you know, okay, if, you know, if these options don't work, then there may be a chance that I'm not going to Iceland. But at this point I had like seven or eight hours before my flight. So I wasn't starting to panic just yet. Um, Like fully, but it took maybe an hour and a few like, few times where like embassy or like the TSA or someone said like, yeah, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get a passport. And I think one of those last options was trying to get an emergency passport from like the embassy in like New York or something. And they said it was possible if there were appointments, but unfortunately there weren't any. So she told me straight up like, yeah, there's nothing we can do for you. Um, And at that moment, that was when I had that conversation with Brandon and I was like, Oregon is always sort of like the last couple of times I've been there, including Pisgah, Oregon has kind of been home away from home. I have a lot of trail family there. Um, I have my best bro, Brandon lives there, you know, and it's always been sort of like a home away from home. And my mind immediately turned to Oregon. Originally, I was going to do Smith Rock near Redmond and Bend. But they don't have, they're very strict on like 24-7 policies. And since we wanted to like do 120-hour continuous ultra, that meant staying in the parking lot through the night and being able to do this thing continuously. But at Smith Rock, you know, apparently they cracked down on that. So I talked to a lot of my trail friends. Most of them were in Springfield and Eugene, Oregon. And they mentioned Mount Pisgah. Which is, I would say, the Pisgah in Oregon is probably most famously known in the trail community as being the rock that Cameron Haynes jumps on every single day. 
Yeah, there's a cool story behind that too. But I decided on Mount Pisgah, you know, the monument really stood out to me and just having like all my friends in Eugene close by because they really wanted to come out and support us, uh, me and Brandon. Yeah, that was sort of how that got settled. And I didn't actually even get to see the course until the day I started the race. <laughs> it, it just moved so quick. Like I got some course maps from a friend named Sean and everything just moved so fast. I just wanted everything to fall into place. Um, there's a lot of back end work too, because every single ultra I do, I do for a charity called Ridstone Family as well. Tell us about that. What what was, you had to shift with them too, to say, hey, the, the Icelandic Traverse isn't going to work. I'm going to do this challenge now. Tell us about the nonprofit and what what you why you support them. I started sort of working with them back in college when I was studying civil engineering and, you know, went down there and built them like a rainwater catch, catchment system and, you know, did some activities with like their kids ranging from like five years old to like 16, 17 years old. Their Ridstone is basically a nonprofit organization in Los Angeles that works with low income brackets. They adopt not only the kids, but they adopt the entire families and they provide the adults with like services to deal with their trauma, like like therapy services, like just like help because most of them work like essential jobs, help with like babysitting kids. They provide the kids with like homework help and their own like services. Um, but their whole goal was to prevent like domestic violence, child abuse, and help the parents break through generational trauma. And their whole thing is that a lot of organizations tend to separate the families and they're all about like keeping the families together and helping them all heal collectively. That was something that always resonated with me. So I circled back with Ridstone, did my 72 hour race last year and raised 2,600 for them. And this year, I've set the mark the entire year with the campaign called the For the Kids 2022 campaign, where we're trying to raise $25,000 for Ridstone. Wow. You know, it wasn't a hard thing for them to realize. They were just really sad that Iceland didn't happen, but they're just always incredibly happy that I'm doing this thing for them. And they're always telling like, like the kids about like everything I'm doing. One of the things is like, this isn't just like a charity that I just found and I'm like just funneling money to. Like I've actually gone down there to, you know, talk to the volunteers and like sit down with the kids. And there's almost never any fanfare I never expected. Like I don't go there and give a big speech like the movies or anything like Al Pacino kind of thing. Like I just go down there and I sit down and quietly and see like, oh, this kid needs help with his homework. And this kid uh, wants to read me a book, you know, and this kid wants to play dodgeball, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's just a beautiful organic relationship that's grown since 2016. And I think it's a driving force behind why I'm able to do such long ultras beyond just like my own whys. Tell us why, why, why does, I mean, it, supporting, something you care about through adventure is a model I love. And I know a lot of people do, but for the folks that have never done that, what is it about supporting a cause that helps you be a better ultra runner? You're like, that sounds confusing on the outside, but you explain it from your point of view. Simple answer really is just that like when we as human beings 
do something for other people, we feel good inside. That's kind of like the impersonal answer. That's the interpersonal answer. Like we feel good inside when we do those things. And I think there's something powerful about being in a position of power and privilege. Like we are to be able to do these amazing things. Mm -hmm. And for people to see like, man, like this person is running loop one mile loops or this person is going up and down this mountain for this cause. It must really mean something to that person. And on a, on a person to person scale, it's also like, it's infectious, you know, like when you see somebody chasing a purpose like that, like everybody wants to be around it. And people start thinking like, man, this guy's doing these loops up and down. I can donate $5, you know, I can donate 10, I can share this. And then they also start thinking like, maybe I can do something like this, you know, there's just so much like negativity in the media all the time. It just drives people down, you know, it drives us all down. Like it's all about like, this war here and like this pandemic here and like there just needs to be more of an injection of positivity into the world and i see what ultra running and its community does for people and whether they're crewing pacing volunteering i see what adventures do for people and how we come back not not necessarily even like lose like we often talk about losing a part of ourselves i feel like adventures are like giving us a piece of the puzzle back in a way. Wow. Yeah. And there's just so much of that. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I love it. Well, well, tell us the fundraiser you did during the Mount Pisgah challenge. How did that end up going? You finished the challenge. What, what, what did it, what, what was the final result of that and how did it feel to finish? So leading up to the Mount Pisgah challenge, we had raised about $833 of the 25,000 so far. The first day, there wasn't much fanfare. And one of the things we did differently for this one, this is probably one of the most interesting ideas that I love and hate Brandon for having, was that we picked up an A-frame sign from, you know, a friend and we put like a big poster of like my For the Kids fundraiser with like a QR code. And Brandon was like, well, you know, we shouldn't leave it in the parking lot. If we take it to the summit, nobody will mess with it because nobody's going to bring it down. And then they both looked, everyone looked at me and they're like, you should carry it up to the summit for your first loop. (laughs) And that's like a big sign you put out, like a restaurant does to say what their specials are for the day. The big sandwich board signs where you're like, they're big, they're big. Yeah. And so I carried that thing up the first loop. (laughs) (laughs) and put that thing up there and you know we had like a little paper in the back and we got a whole bunch of like signatures um showing love and support and we also thought like man like Cameron Haynes runs this thing every day he's not going to be able to ignore that he ran past me two times in the first three days and just didn't say anything (laughs) and then on the fourth day or whatever, I saw um, Cam's brother, actually Cam's brother, Taylor, tagged me down, Taylor Spike, Cam's stepbrother. And he's just like, hey, you're the guy doing that thing. You know, like he had seen like, I think it just like spread through the stories and like the word of mouth and everything. And he ran like a couple loops with me and then he made a post about me and Cameron Haynes saw it. And the next day, Cam is running up doing his usual thing where he like jumps on the monument and he's like, somebody's always working harder than you. Maybe it's this guy. And he goes up to the sign 
<laughs> and I'm like sitting on the cot, like, cause it's like 96, 97 degrees. I'm taking a break on day five, um, right before my 50th summit. And I see that story from Cam and I get up, like I just rose from the dead, like the undertaker. And I'm like, let's go do this loop right now. <laughs> so he posted about your sign at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Um, Cause it's like a popular thing. There's a monument at the top that you can, yeah. like it's a good size, almost like a table almost up there. So for people that can't see this, but in Cameron Haynes is like a celebrity uh, bow hunter slash yeah. athlete. And uh, apparently you're a big influence on you. So that that's really cool. <laughs> Very creative too, for putting the sandwich board up there to draw awareness to this. Yeah, it was huge. Um, for him to like not always shout it out, but I, you know, I he messaged me asking what summit I was on and started following me and reshared some of our reels and um, ended up helping us funnel a bunch more donations to the cause. And even Merrill was so um, even Merrill was so blown away by the challenge that they ended up taking their charitable donations funds and donating five thousand dollars to a Ridstone family. And that put us at pretty much like we started at $833 and we're now sitting at $7,100. Jeez, that is awesome. And so it's insane. Speaking about the challenge itself, like it was just, it's crazy because like it's 120 hours continuous. Like you sleep when you have to sleep for maybe like half an hour to an hour. So you can imagine like there's all the sleep deprivation and then on the first night, Brandon and I both had this food and we both got food poisoning. So I couldn't eat anything for the entire second day. Yeah. Like the days just like blurred into each other. I can talk about like, I had a hallucination of like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings on the fourth night. <laughs> but man, it was just, like you said, ultras are a microcosm of life. And so the longer they get, it just like a hundred mile feels like a lifetime already. So this felt like it felt like I'd been living in Oregon forever and that I was just this guy who camped in the parking lot. And people did legitimately think because of the mess we were leaving there, you know, while we were there was that we were homeless. So I thought I was literally <laughs> like living at Mount Pisgah going up and down. And, you know, I saw the same people over and over again. And it was the coolest thing I would say was going from day one where people were like, what is this guy doing to like towards the fifth day once Cam reposted it and the same people saw me over and over again, like everybody just rallying behind me, random strangers doing loops with me. Like it just spread like wildfire that this guy was doing this thing. Um, but the final tally ended up being like 173 miles, 55,000 feet of gain. And gosh, maybe like, oh yeah, I was like 54 summits. I did 54 summits at Mount Pisgah. Unbelievable. Gosh. I love it because it's so simple. Like go up and down this mountain as many times as you can. But sometimes some of the most inspiring things are some of the most simple. And although it's not, you know, crossing Iceland, it's probably arguable or probably arguably more impactful for the kids and more impactful on you even by having your plans totally disrupted by something totally unfortunate, losing your passport or being it being stolen, but being able to interact with 
someone that really inspires you and have them spread the message bigger and farther. So in the long run, you could probably say it was a good thing that that happened. Yeah. I mean, I always believe that one thing that always keeps me going is the mantra, find a way. That's one of my favorite ones, just find a way. And also just knowing that you're always meant to be where you're supposed to be. And I felt like once I finished that thing, I felt like this is where I was meant to be all along. Wow. If Iceland didn't happen, then there was probably some good reason for it not happening. And it'll have probably happened in the future at some point, but I have no regrets for how everything went down because the Fisca thing ended up became, becoming bigger than I could have ever possibly imagined and just opened even more doors because, you know, one door closes like 10 doors open. Wow. And, and you could, I just love it because you could have so easily said, crap, you know, it, it, Iceland didn't happen. I'm just going to go home, get back to work or, you know, go do something else. You know, you did do something else, but you could have just closed the door, not done anything. And I don't you know, no one would have blamed you, but you saw it as a potential to do something else. And that ended up being more impactful. I love it. That is so cool. So, so you know, if all goes to plan, you know, as, as or, or Lord willing and the creek don't rise, as we say here in the South, uh, what do you have coming up in the future that you're, you're, you're shooting for? So I got the Moab 240 in October. After the Moab 240 in December, I'm going back to across the years to do the six-day distance um, with the goal of going for 400 miles in 144 hours. And then next year, I am doing the Destination Trails Triple Crown of 200s, which is the Bigfoot 200, the Tahoe 200, and the Moab 240 all done in one calendar year. Jeez. Do you feel pressure to go farther and farther or do you want to do this? I, I, I want to do it. Like I do, there's obviously like a fear that comes with doing these things, but I think that asking that question to myself has gotten me to this place. And that question is like, what scares me? You know, what, what makes me like sweat bullets, like that signing up for that first hundred mile or signing up for that first 50 K for that first half marathon, like, what's that next thing that makes me sweat bullets? It doesn't necessarily have to be distance. It can be something that's totally, like, discomforting, like a summit challenge, like getting this all this elevation gain was something that scared me, like, made me want to sweat bullets. Um, and so I feel pressure to go higher in distance, but it's like a good kind of pressure. I, I just want to see what I'm capable of and how I can use these things that I'm privileged to be able to, that I'm able to get to do to support Ridstone family and whatever fundraisers and whatever people I decide to collaborate with in the future. Awesome. Love it. Well, uh, good luck on those upcoming adventures. If they don't happen, if you, if something, you get a flat tire on the way there, plane doesn't <laughs> take off, whatever it is, I'll sure you'll find a really cool challenge or something cool to do. That's, that's an amazing skill and amazing perspective and an attitude, but I, I hope it goes to plan. Cause I would, I would love to see you get a lot of these done. So 
Um, yeah, thank you for joining us on Adventure Sports Podcast and telling us a little bit about you and your story. Uh, I, I will, I'm going to point people to your Instagram to follow you. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. Is there anywhere else you'd like to point people? Theon Gandhi. And then, you know, if you're interested in seeing material that'll make you more comfortable as an endurance athlete, um, you can follow the page that I co-own of the company I co-own, Run, Try, Bike. It's on Instagram. It's at Run, Try, Mag. Run, try, mag. Perfect. We will point folks there and to your Instagram, and we will talk to about the uh, uh, the Richstone family as well. So thank you, Om, for what you're doing and inspiring people and just making adventure happen. I love it. So keep up the good work, and let's check in after, uh, after Iceland or after some of these other experiences because uh, it's a cool story. Appreciate you being on. Uh, thanks for having me on, Mason. I really appreciate it. That was fun. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>